Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. friends. Did you miss me? (laughs) At long last, I'm back behind the microphone to bring you season four of the podcast. I'm excited to have great conversations with knowledgeable guests and to deliver some lively soliloquies focused on specific regenerative practices. Today's episode is one such soliloquy all about why I like to spray at my farm. (laughs) I can practically hear a pin drop at your dismay. But I promise spraying is an integral part of a regenerative farm. So keep listening to find out why. But before we dive any deeper into this really unexpected topic, I wanted to share my excitement with you about my new short course series over on the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network. As I bring you season four of the podcast here, I'll also be releasing six online short courses this winter. Each on-demand course is dialed into a very specific aspect of running a flower farm business. Already available are two courses, one all about specialty foliage crops, and the other all about running a successful flower CSA or subscription program at your farm. Coming in early December will be a course all about finding, managing, and keeping a great farm crew. Then later in December will be a course on marketing, also one on woodies, and a regenerative growing cohort. I love sharing all that I know with you and hope these courses will serve other growers well. Each short course has its own community space on Ruffin for asking questions and sharing experiences, and I'll be doing live Q&A meetups there over the winter on the regular. If this all sounds great to you, please stop over in the show notes where I'll put a link. Or if you're already a Ruffin member, log in and look for the courses in the main menu. Ruffin members get a deep discount on courses because they are sponsoring this podcast. So thank you all. You are the absolute best. Okay, so back to this bold statement I just made about loving to spray at my farm. What is that all about? People always assume spraying means pesticides or herbicides or fungicides or any sort of side. So basically killing shit. But you can also spray to increase life and, plot twist, in doing so, you'll get rid of pests and diseases. In regenerative farming, there's so much talk about soil health, soil life, and the root rhizosphere. I've certainly spent my fair share of time fixated on the world beneath my feet. But there's another incredibly fascinating and equally important microscopic ecosystem we farmers and gardeners should nerd out about. The surface of leaves, stems, and flowers, or what's called the phylosphere. The microbiome on the surface of a crop's leaves plays a huge role in sustaining crop growth, promoting plant health, regulating physiological processes, enhancing a plant's ability to withstand stress, and warding off would-be invaders. Just like in the soil, fungi, bacteria, protozoa, and nematodes all inhabit the leaf surface and the surface of stems and flowers. But unlike the soil, which is a relatively shady and sheltered and stable 
space, the surface of the leaf is fairly volatile, exposed to much harsher conditions like searing sunlight, drying wind, and sudden swings in temperature. Life for the little leaf buddies is really quite hard. This is one reason we growers should turn more attention to the phylosphere. We can do a lot to help out these allies and influence the outcome of the war that is always raging along the ridgelines of leaves. Leaves are where diseases and pests typically first attack. There's a constant tug of war between beneficial and harmful life forms. The scales could tip in a single day with drastic weather and start the ball rolling towards crop loss really fast. If we growers can spend a little time each week bringing in microbial reinforcements and building stronger cell walls, we can often keep the bad guys at bay. We do this by foliar feeding. And foliar feeding both feeds the plants and feeds the microbes. I think a lot of times most people hear foliar feeding and they just think it's feeding the plants, but we're actually also feeding microbes. All right, so let's go deep first into that first point, spraying to feed your plants. For starters, let's be clear on something. Foliar feeding should not be a plant's primary source of nutrients. You still need to give the plant the bulk of its nutrition through a balanced living soil. Foliar feeding is instead a targeted approach that you'll use if a crop is showing signs of a nutrient deficiency or signs of environmental stress or is at a particular stage in the plant's life cycle that can benefit from a precise nutrient boost. An example of when a crop may show signs of nutrient deficiencies is in early spring when the soil is still cool. A soil may have an abundance of mineral nutrients in it, but because of the chill, microbial life is not actively cycling those nutrients yet to make them available to crop roots. In this instance, you would use a foliar spray to get those locked up nutrients to your plants while the rhizosphere is still, still waking up. This frequently happens to me in my hoop houses when I have a cold hardy crop like stock, campanula, or snapdragons eagerly pushing growth while the temperatures are still quite cool. Often I see boron or manganese deficiencies in March and April. A couple weekly foliar feeds snaps them right out of that. I do not need to worry about spraying those nutrients later in a foliar feed for the deficiencies because once the soil war warms up, the microbes are going to unlock all that treasure trove that's in the soil. I just have to worry about the foliar feeding when the soil is still cool. Next, let's talk about foliar feeding your crops to cope with environmental stress. Extreme drought, extreme rain, extreme temperature swings, you name it, we have all had it. These recent um, growing seasons have just thrown every curveball possible when it comes to weather. And if you think it's hard on us, imagine what it's like to be a plant standing out there taking it all without any sort of shelter whatsoever. So something I do to fortify my crops against these onslaughts is to regularly foliar feed kelp. Kelp is full of micronutrients. It also has the macronutrient potassium and auxins, all of which boost a plant's defenses. It helps plants regulate their hormones and thicken leaf cuticles so they don't dehydrate or freeze as easily, which is great in a drought or when a cold snap is in the forecast. I typically include kelp, specifically a product called MaxiCrop, 
which is a powder that you can dissolve into water um, and is really economical to use every week in my foliar sprays. Another example of using foliar feeding in extreme conditions is when there's an excessive rainfall that's leached out many of the nutrients from the soil during a crop's life cycle. So for instance, here at my farm in 2023, we had one of the rainiest seasons on record and we tended to have huge intense storms where about five or six inches of rain would come pelting down in an hour or two. And that kind of heavy rain really just literally washes away the nutrients in your soil, um, particularly things like calcium, which is very water soluble. It just leaches right out. And typically, if you needed to add nutrients to your soil, you would go in there and amend it. But it, in the middle of the summer, I've got a crop growing in that space. So there's no way I can get in there and amend with things like I would normally do, such as feather meal or um, <clears throat> oyster shells or whatever. So, But those nutrients are leaching out so fast with the rain that you have to do something. So in that case, foliar feeding can be one of the only things that you can do when your crops are struggling in extreme rain events. Um, in this case, for my dahlias this past year, this is really the only reason I had a good dahlia year this past year was because I kept foliar spraying them between the rainstorms and they were able to continue to produce lots of healthy stems. But if I hadn't done that, they would have languished and it probably would have been one of the worst dahlia years. The last scenario for using foliar feeding to feed your crops is to target a particular time in a plant's life cycle to feed it with a specific nutrient to enhance your harvest. So for us flower farmers, the key example here is calcium. Calcium is critical to stem quality and bud formation. We need tall and strong stems with well-formed buds, both of which require good levels of calcium. Calcium is a nutrient that does not move around in the plant very well. So this is why I like to apply calcium directly as a foliar feed to my crops when they're budding up. So I spray it right there onto the stems and onto the buds so that those plant parts receive that very critical nutrient. I use this especially on ranunculus, anemone, stock, lysianthus, dahlias, and mums, but really just about everything. <laughs> but those ones definitely benefit from it. Field crops like zinnias and sunflowers don't need it quite as much. They seem to be pretty uh, self-sustaining, but definitely with the ranunculus and anemones, stock, lysianthus, dahlias, and mums, they all respond beautifully um, to having a calcium foliar feed when they're budding up. I use a homemade calcium solution called WCA, or water-soluble calcium, which is from the handbook of Korean natural farming. It's incredibly simple and inexpensive to make from toasted eggshells and raw apple cider vinegar. I've put a link in the show notes for you to learn more about how to make that yourself. So now to discuss how foliar sprays can feed and diversify the microbial community on the leaf surface for healthier overall plants. In the microscopic world of bacteria, there's a fascinating communication system called quorum sensing that bacteria use to talk, quote unquote, talk <laughs> to each other. They don't actually talk. So <laughs> I'll explain it here in a nutshell, but you really should head over to YouTube to watch a fascinating TED talk on the subject. There's a link to that in the show notes. 
So a single bacterium on its own is incapable of affecting any change on its host. It's just too small to do anything by itself. Even a dozen bacteria are unlikely to have enough collective collective power to impact their host, for better or for worse. So bacteria don't, quote unquote, turn on until they know there are enough of their own kind nearby to have a real impact. They have to sense a quorum. That's why it's called quorum sensing. They do this by constantly sending out encoded chemical signals into the environment, seeing if they get a ping back. I like to think of it like a submarine using sonar, seeing what's out in the water around it. These chemical signals are bouncing around in the phylosphere on the leaf surface. All bacteria are constantly sending out signals, so it's like (laughs) quite a buzz of Morse code there on the leaf surface. Two pivotal things can happen. One scenario is for a given bacteria to sense that there are lots of their own kind around, a quorum, and so they will turn on their particular trait that could cause changes in the plant for example, a disease, they've got the numbers to win, so they're going to go for it. So that is they've sensed that there's enough of themselves there. The other scenario is that the disease-inducing bacteria may sense that there are a lot of other bacteria out there that would fight them, and there's too many of those other bacteria for the disease-inducing bacteria to win. So they are suppressed. That's quorum sensing in a nutshell. So either they decide, well, there's enough of us. Yay, let's go. Or they go, oh, not enough of us. Okay, let's stay quiet. (laughs) So they sense one or the other. And so when you interject your own desires into that quorum sensing through foliar feeding, you can have a direct impact on whether diseases and other things turn on or stay suppressed on the leaf surface. But seriously, just go watch the TED Talk. (laughs) She's way better at explaining it than I am, and it will definitely give you goosebumps. And for the record, the phylosphere is not just home to bacteria. Also on the leaf surface are fungi, nematode, protozoas, viruses, probably some other things I don't even know about. So it's quite the tiny jungle on there. The quorum sensing is directly related to bacteria. Um, I'm sure all the others have their own communication systems as well. A healthy leaf biome will have a lot of diversity, so no single microscopic critter can get the upper hand and cause havoc. But remember how stressful the environment is in the phylosphere? Drying wind, searing heat, excessive humidity, sudden cold, scalding sun, Let's just say survival is really tough out there. So weed growers can add life to the leaf surface regularly to tip the scales in our favor with foliar feeding. There are a couple of ways I like to do that here at my farm. One is to use fresh worm castings from my worm bin to create a vermicast extract to spray on crops. Vermicast extracts are super easy and only take a few minutes to make. They're not worm tea. There's no bubbling and brewing and waiting 24 hours or whatever. All I do is I take a handful of fresh worm castings and put them in a quart jar with some non-chlorinated water. I put the lid on the jar and then I just shake it vigorously for a minute. 
Then I let that stand for about 15 minutes. I shake it whenever I walk, happen to walk by. I mean, you could stand there and shake it for the entire 15 minutes, but let's face it, none of us have time for that. <laughs> but you do need to let it sit for a few minutes um, because what this process is doing is you're transferring a lot of the good biology in the worm castings and their chemical signals, those, those signals they were sending out to talk to each other are very water soluble. So you're transferring both the biology and the chemical signals into the water. And then that way you can spread it all out over the leaves of your crop. So that's why you do need to let this particular vermicast extract sit for a few minutes and give it a lot of vigorous shakes, just essentially so you can kind of, you know, dissolve all that goodness into there. Before adding the vermicast extract to your sprayer, though, there are there's gritty bits to it. It doesn't all just disappear. So you want to run that through a fine mesh strainer or some cheesecloth so you remove any particulates that would clog up your nozzle. But that's it. It's easy peasy lemon squeezy. All you do, handful of form castings, jar of non-chlorinated water, shake it up, let it sit, then add it to your sprayer. Of course, you do need a worm bin that has fresh worm castings because fresh worm castings are key to this magical elixir. You cannot use pasteurized worm castings from a big old bag you got at the big box store. That won't work. It doesn't have the same vibrancy of life and diversity in it because it's been pasteurized. But every regenerative farmer and gardener must not should, but must have a worm bin. I am very, very emphatic about that. You must have a worm bin. There are so many benefits to having a worm bin, both in composting your waste and then also the benefits of the castings that come from your worm bin. If you haven't already listened to it, go back in to the podcast for my chat with Matt Arthur in season two, episode 23, to learn more about caring for worms and the benefits of fresh worm castings. Another way to combat disease by adding life to the leaf surface is to use something called LAB, which is also part of Korean natural farming. LAB stands for lactic acid bacillus, a type of bacteria that you can easily culture yourself at home using milk and rice. LAB is an aggressive bacteria that likes to eat disease-causing microbes. When I picture LAB, I see an old-school video game Pac-Man running around in the maze chomping on everything in its path. I have found LAB to be particularly good at controlling powdery mildew if you spray it regularly before there's an outbreak. LAB will colonize the leaf surface and eat up any of the um, powdery mildew or other bad guys that try to set up shop. The key is to be spraying it before outbreaks occur. So I spray LAB every other week at my farm during the most humid part of the season when it's most likely to have disease outbreaks. I put a link in the show notes to a video on how to make LAB courtesy of Tony Gates of Bear Mountain Farm. In addition to watching the YouTube video, make sure to go back here in the podcast and listen to my interview with Tony in Season 2, Episode 15, where we talk all about how a little LAB goes a long way. A third easy homemade serum of microbial goodness <laughs> is something called Jadam Microbial Solution, or JMS. This one uses a boiled potato water, and some leaf mold from the forest floor to exponentially multiply good bacteria and fungi that you can then spray on your plants to impact the phylosphere. 
I talked in detail about JMS in episode 30, so go have a listen to that for more details. It's super easy to make and very effective at ramping up microbial activity on your farm, all for the price of a potato. So those are three ways to add life to the leaf surface. All of this good and diverse life will fight off diseases, and it will also deter insects and other pests as a vibrantly healthy leaf surface is not nearly as attractive to nature's cleanup crew. One other element I use in foliar sprays to feed both my plants and the life on the leaf surface is molasses. You've heard about the power of molasses here on the podcast before in episode 21 with Dr. Tom Dykstra explaining bricks as it relates to pests. Molasses has some micronutrients that feed your plants, but more importantly, (laughs) the sugar feeds all the life on the phylosphere. So when you spray that molasses around, you're fueling that microbial goodness on the leaf surface for it to thrive and multiply. What's also great about molasses is that it's sticky, which makes it a natural surfactant or spreader sticker, as they say in the, spread- in the spraying world. <laughs> molasses will help your foliar spray stick to the leaf surface, making it more effective. Now for a couple pointers about the spraying process itself. First, you'll need a good quality sprayer. This is no time to skimp and buy a cheap one, friends. If you are serious about tapping into the benefits of foliar feeding, you'll be spraying every week and spraying pretty much everything on your farm. So do yourself a favor and get a good sprayer from the start. I highly recommend My Four Sons battery-powered backpack sprayer. I've put a link to their site in the show notes. Um, They don't do social media, just a heads up. (laughs) And this is not a paid paid sponsorship. I just absolutely adore My Four Sons backpack sprayer. I, I don't know how I would do what I do without it. So get yourself one of those. You can totally mix all of this life-giving goodness together in one tank mix. So the beauty of focusing on increasing life and not worrying about killing a bunch of shit (laughs) is that all these inputs that I just talked about, everything from LAB and JMS to molasses to vermicast extract and kelp, um, all of this stuff can live co-happily in, uh, can live happily (laughs) collectively in a tank together when you mix it all up and spray it out. So you don't have to do like, you don't have to um, just spray molasses, then go back and fill up your sprayer with vermicast extract and then go back and spray fill up your sprayer with kelp. Nope, do it all together, all in one tank mix. Like I said, I spray about once a week at my farm. When I do, whatever feeding that needs to be done gets mixed in the sprayer all at once. So sometimes it's kelp, vermicast extract, WCA, and LAB. Other times it's fish emulsion, Epsom salts, molasses, and Jadal microbial solution. Rarely is it the exact same formula every week because the needs of the plants are constantly changing where they are in their life cycle, what the weather's been like, whether you see the potential for a disease outbreak. There's It's just all in flux. It's constantly in motion. So you cannot just keep 
blindly spraying the exact same formula, you will be doing a disservice to yourself and to the ecosystem. So it's important to always be observing and adjusting to what you see in your field or garden. In this case, it helps a lot for me personally to keep a spiral bound notebook handy right near my sprayer where I jot down notes about what I've seen from week to week, whether things have responded to a certain spray or if I didn't really see any response and therefore it was just a waste of time. So constantly be taking notes about what's happening after you do your foliar feeds. And you should also always spray in the late evening just before sunset. This gives everything a chance to be absorbed and those microbes to set up shop before the harsh rays of the sun come back out to dry it out or the wind blows too hard or whatever. So spraying at sunset, usually it's the quietest time of the day in terms of um, air movement. And then everything has all night to just sort of seep in and get comfy before any bad weather would come through again. Obviously, do not spray right before heavy rain is predicted, or really any rain. You should always be spraying when there won't be a weather event overnight. If all this feels too daunting, which I know it can, and that's completely understandable, try just one or two of these elements for a while before adding anything else in. I would suggest kelp and vermicast extract along with that molasses so that it sticks to the leaf surface as an easy start to get you going with foliar feeding. Because those three elements are good for any crop at any life stage. I always have those three things in my sprayer mix. So that's kelp, molasses, and vermicast extract. Those three are a great place to start. And then you can always add the other things as you get more comfortable with the process and the routine of foliar feeding. So there you have it, an introduction to spraying on a regenerative farm. I hope this episode inspires you to think more about the microbiome on the leaf surface. There is so much to be discovered there and so many ways that you can support the phylosphere. Plus, it's just cool to walk around and tell people you spray on your farm and then watch the shock just like I did. <laughs> okay, maybe only I get a kick out of that. Anyway, thank you for listening and caring about restoring balance and ecosystem you share with so many other beings, large and small. A special thanks to the loyal repeat listeners who come get nerdy with me on the regular. You know who you are, and I am so grateful for you. If you've learned something new today that has you all jazzed, do me a favor and share this episode with some friends, particularly nerdy friends who like plants and things like witchy brews, <laughs> like vermicast extract and LAB. <laughs> Please also leave a review on your podcast app. That helps me know I'm doing an okay job around here. The recent reviews left by Two Kiwi, Red123, 1234, Sunrise of Gardens, and Avocado Moon really made my day. Thank you guys for those. And don't forget to go find your people in the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network. There's a link in the show notes to that. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil and the phylosphere. <laughs>up another energetic episode of no-till flowers i'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to subscribe 
so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Thank you.